number 550, number 550. Let's stand together. Let's sing as we stand, please. Sweetly, Lord, have we heard see the butcher back where you go there. We're discussing my age up here. And that's a good, that's a good subject. <laughs> a couple of things to know. This week uh, we have Johnny Cash. He was famous saying, I'm Johnny Cash. You know, remember that one? Anyway, uh, an impersonator. There's going to be some great music Thursday. We have a large number already signed up. Uh, Joe, we haven't had the meeting yet to know what other churches are all coming, but so far we've got over 100 signed up, just some folks we know about, so it's going to be a big meeting. Also uh, coming up, uh, we have a trip to Woodford Theater, and if you haven't signed up for that, we need to get payment in pretty quick because we have to buy the tickets tomorrow. We're going to go ahead and buy some on faith, I think, but we usually have a good response to that. And also... Uh, we have this uh, Canadian and New England cruise coming up September. Betty needs a roommate. I just thought I'd let you know. She's going, but she needs a roommate. So if you want to go be her roommate, you can just talk to her about that. We're going to sing hymn number 18. Number 18, Glorify Thy Name. Oh. 
Bench 91, Shirley Goodness and Mercy. Bless this time of offering in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you, David. We have a video here. Today is Cooperative Program Sunday. So this is... Uh, Hi, I'm Paul Chitwood, Executive Director of the Kentucky Baptist Convention. And if you know me well, one of the things you know about me is I don't like going to the dentist. Never have, never will. But I'm thankful for all of those dentists who have ensured that I still have teeth and those teeth don't hurt. All across Kentucky, there are people who can't afford basic dental care. But thankfully, because of the ministries of Southern Baptists and Kentucky Baptists, that can be changed. Behind me is parked a mobile dental unit provided and equipped by Southern Baptists for the use of our churches across the state of Kentucky. It's not possible for all of our churches to have a vehicle like this. In fact, there aren't even any dentists in my church. But working together, Southern Baptists have provided this vehicle. And working together, Kentucky Baptists and our 2,400 churches uh, can muster the volunteers and the dentists to help provide the services of this vehicle. As it's used all across this state, we're able to see that not only are people able to have dental care who couldn't afford dental care, but we're also able to see people hear the gospel who may not have heard the gospel before. How is this possible? This is possible because churches give through the cooperative program. The cooperative program provides for ministries like these. The cooperative program is making a difference. The cooperative program is sharing the gospel. Thank you, Kentucky Baptists, for giving through the cooperative program. Thank you for wanting Kentucky and the world to hear the gospel. Amen. That is there is Paul Chitwood. For every dollar you place in the offering plate, we send 10 cents up to Louisville to the Kentucky Baptist Convention. That is our church's tithe. We tithe as a church. And from that, from that, uh, what they get there, uh, they usually keep about 50 or so percent of that within the state of Kentucky, and then they send the remaining 50 percent um, uh, to the North American Mission Board, to uh, the International Mission Board, to the seminaries. It supports a lot of different ministries of the SBC. So we're, we're fortunate here being part of the one of 2,400 uh, Southern Baptist churches that have partnered with the Kentucky Baptist Convention that we have a dental mobile. And what this, do, uh, I've been a part of these before. What happens is you usually have to book them a year in advance because they say book. You usually have like a big community outreach day and uh, the Dillmobile park out front and you get word out in the community that people maybe who don't have insurance or uh, need dental care and maybe they don't have the funding. They come and they make an appointment to see the dentist. And if they're no-show people, there's always a hundred people on a waiting list because it's so well received if they don't show up within five minutes you call a number the next person on the list I mean, you keep it going so that then somebody else shows up so there's someone always sitting in that dental chair it is a wonderful ministry and what happens is the dentists do the work and usually there's somebody there sharing the gospel and uh, presenting christ because i'll tell you if you provide dental care to someone uh, and especially do a lot of dental work they will listen to you tell them about jesus and folks get saved so we're very blessed to have the dental mobile here is Kentucky Baptist with that. Open your Bible to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 49. This passage I'm going to read, to me, is a difficult passage. And for most folks, it's very easy 
But here's why I think it's difficult. This is what we call the Sermon on the Plain. The reason why we call that is you can compare it to the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' most famous sermon found in Matthew chapter 5, verse or chapter 5 through chapter 7 for three chapters. Well, this is one very similar to that. It has a lot of the, uh, some of the overlapping things. And here's why it's called the Sermon on the Plain compared to the Sermon on the Mount. The reason it's called the Sermon on the Mount is because leading up there, in Matthew 5, it says Jesus went up on a mountain to speak the words. Here, if you look at chapter 6, verse 17, it says, after coming down with them, so here in Luke chapter 6, he's going down to speak to the people. We talked a little bit about this last week. So all of a sudden, we pick up here, and we're going to see a passage. I want to share with you why this is challenging. This is one of these, these are teachings from Jesus, and there's six different sections we're going to look at. It's kind of lengthy tonight, so you want to follow along in your Bible. Six different sessions here, uh, sections in the Scripture. And what's challenging about this, this is what we call the ideal. What I mean by that is Jesus is going to tell us things that are challenging and hard for us to live by. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. For we all live practical, everyday lives in 2018. So when we read these words, and you look at this, and it says here, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why don't you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the, the beam of wood in your own eye? And we see this about judging. And the reality is, we judge people all the time. And every day, people judge us. You judge other people. I judge folks. And you say, Lord, we read this, this section here about judging, go, well, gosh, God, I, I struggle with this. I do judge people. I mean, even this afternoon, I, I read the news, and I was reading about some teenager who wore an inappropriate outfit to school in Florida. Completely inappropriate. And the principal and the school administrators call him in office. Call a little girl in office and says, you can't, it's way too inappropriate outfit. You shouldn't be wearing this. So then this is what happened. The mother comes down and instead of getting on to her daughter, she sides with her daughter and then goes after the principal. I mean, that's, they say, well, what, a, what bad parroting. This is crazy. And what happens here is it's easy when we hear some ridiculous story like that to say, you know, <clears throat> if you read it, it just goes, went on and on. They're having a protest now over it and that these girls can wear whatever they want to. And who are you to tell me I have to dress this way according to the school handbook? I'm free to do whatever. But what happens for us is when we see stuff like that, we we'll find ourselves judging. You're going to make a judgment call on that. Yet the Bible here, and what's hard about this, the Bible says you are not to judge. Do not judge. The, the only judge is Scripture in the Lord. He holds the final judgment. His standard is what we will see here that all humanity will be judged by. Our responsibility as best as we can do it for judging is to 
present the gospel. Here's what Jesus has said. Now, you line your life up with it. We can't make someone else follow Scripture. You can't make someone believe. But we as believers, we are told and commanded by the Lord not to judge. Now, that's challenging for us. So when we read this, and what's hard is because this is something we break every single day if we're truthful. Yet the Bible says we should be striving in discipleship to become more and more like Jesus. Because in heaven, there will not be any judging. People will not be judging one another. There will be a moral standard. So that's what we're going to be looking at. This here is what we... It's kind of like, have you ever met someone and they talk in the clouds? They're, they're, um, you, you say, God, it's, just, it's like you maybe talk to a physician. And you say, use, use everyday language, doc. Like, what are you talking about? Just tell me the facts. In many ways, what we're going to see here is somewhat in the clouds. It's up there, and we want to know, Jesus, just give me something I can take and go apply it in my life. Helps me be a better believer. So I want you to follow along here. Luke chapter 6, verse 20. This here's the Beatitudes. Now, there's other Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Here are the differences between the Beatitudes before we read them. Here there's only four Beatitudes. In Matthew's account, there's eight Beatitudes. What is a Beatitude? A Beatitude is a standard that will be in heaven. The purpose that Jesus is trying to tell us is he wants us to know, as followers of him, what a kingdom-focused faith looks like. So let's look here. Verse 20. Then looking up at his disciples. This is important because the Sermon on the Plain and the Sermon on the Mount is not directed at the crowds. It's directed at the disciples. Who are the disciples? These are his 12 men he's pouring his life in life into we today in 2018 if you're a believer in jesus christ bible says you are a disciple of the lord so this applies to us he said to them blessed are you who are poor because the kingdom of god is yours we saw this this morning what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul blessed are you who are now hungry because you will be filled blessed are you who weep now because you will laugh blessed Are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man? Jesus is saying, you actually receive a blessing if people mock you and criticize you because you love the Lord. We identify with Christ through criticism by being a disciple. Jesus was mocked. Jesus was made fun of. So he's telling his followers, says, hey, if they made fun of me, they're going to make fun of you. You should expect that. The world, the culture, worldliness, it is going to be antithetical to the gospel. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven. For this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. Now, what he's talking about there is Jesus says that a couple of times, and he's acknowledging his rejection. The Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Amos, Malachi, all these guys we read in the Old Testament, they were rejected 
They did not, the people did not listen to their message. And Jesus is saying, when you come with a, a God-centered message from the Lord, don't be surprised when no one listens to it. It's how it goes. Just as they didn't listen to the prophets, no one's going to listen to me either. The great thing about the Beatitudes here, <clears throat> understanding what is Jesus talking about, he's saying this will not be completed here on earth. It's going to be completed in heaven. This is kingdom principles are different than earthly principles. We are blessed if we're poor, hungry. We're blessed if people are weeping, if people hate us. People do evil towards us because of the name of Jesus. That's, that's completely opposite to how most of us live. So what's tough about this is go, how, Pastor, how does this apply to me? What, what do I do with this? This reminds us, when you read the, read the Beatitudes, here in Luke chapter 6 and in Matthew chapter 5, either the four or the eight Beatitudes, what God is telling us here, the Lord is telling us that this is a picture of what heaven will be like. It was a picture of perfection. It's just the opposite of the world. In fact, we put down people who are like this. We reject those. We're the ones who join in laughing. Next section, here are the woes. Look here, verse 24 through 26. <clears throat> These are the woes that Jesus warns us about. But what, remember, a woe is something bad. That's what a woe is. Again, it's just the opposite of what we're told. But woe to you who are rich, for you've received your comfort. Woe to you who are now full, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are now laughing, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. So what we see here is... <clears throat> The false prophets in the Old Testament, they basically told the kings, such as the prophets that came to King Ahab, and told them whatever they wanted to hear. And Jesus is coming along saying, well, that's, that's your reward right there. You're rich here on earth. Now, the moment you die, you're going to be bankrupt. And you're going to be doomed in hell. But this is your reward right here. You're hungry, or you're full, soon you will be hungry. Right now, you're laughing, but soon you're going to be weeping. What Jesus is telling people, he's saying that the folks who are living without the Lord, and who are living really satanic lives, when I use the word satanic, <clears throat> when we, we hear that word, demonic, and we think of uh, witchcraft, worldliness, just living a secular lifestyle, not even thinking about God or about Scripture, just about going to work, making money, having a good time, going to the bar, going to the races, watching movies all the time, watching TV. Nothing really bad, bad. You're not shooting people. You're not robbing a bank. Just going to the beach, traveling all the time. Living a lifestyle that Christ or the Lord or Scripture is not at all represented, even thought about. 
That is a satanic, worldly, demonic lifestyle. And people don't realize it. And Satan has it. And that's what was going on here. Everything we're told, grow up, you want to go to nice restaurants, make a lot of money, have a good time. Jesus is saying, no, these are not kingdom principles. You need to be poor. You need to be hungry. You need to be weeping. Here on earth, if you don't strive towards the opposite of the, the pull of our culture, you will find yourself getting sucked into that. Do you all remember the Old Testament story of Lot? I think I preached on it a year ago. <clears throat> what happened? God called Abraham to leave Ur of the Chaldeans and to travel, that's where Mesopotamia is, current-day Iraq, and to travel to the new promised land of Israel. So he had a nephew, his brother's son, named Lot. Now, God didn't tell Lot to go. The Bible actually says Lot was a just man at one point. But Lot came along with Abraham. And they finally made it there after stopping in Haran on the, at the top in Syria. And then they came on down. Abraham's father died, Terah. And they got on down there. And what happened is God blessed Abraham and Lot. And then one day, the, the um, tribesmen and the animals, they're having a problem. There wasn't enough water and grass because the flocks were getting bigger and bigger and fighting among the two different groups were going on. So Abraham, being a wise man, took Lot up on the hill and says, well, we need to do something. This isn't working. There's no sense for us ever to be fighting. We're relatives. We're fighting over grass. And we have plenty of grass everywhere. God just blessed us with this wonderful land. You look out. Which land do you want? Do you want the east? You go east, I'll go west. You go west, I'll go east. You just pick wherever you want to go, and I'll go to the other place. Well, Lot looked out, and there was a plain out there. And it looked great to him. It was off to the left. And he said, Lot says, I'll take that. It looks nicer. Well, he went down there, and he lived. And in that plain, there was a city called Sodom. And Now, remember, the Bible says Lot was a just man. And he had been with Abraham. He had seen God's mighty hand. Well, he entered Sodom. And he got sucked into the culture. And what happened to him is several years later, God spoke to Abraham and says, I'm going to destroy this city, Sodom and Gomorrah. Their wickedness reaches heaven. Sent two angels into the city. And, and Lot didn't want to leave. His family, his three daughters, they didn't want to go. In fact, the angels had to grab Lot's hand and say, Hey, God's going to destroy this place, Lot. We've got to get out. Lot loved the city. In fact, Lot had some son-in-laws. And when their father-in-law spoke to him, that was time to leave. It says, the Bible says that they mocked him. They laughed at him and said, God's going to destroy the city. Get, have another beer. Lot, what are you thinking? Chill out. Cool down. When did Lot become religious? What, what is he, this Jesus, God talk he's coming up with? That's the answer they spoke to him. 
Lot is the perfect example of someone who went into a city and became worldly. And he wasn't that way. So I share this because if it can happen to Lot, it can happen to you and I. There's a drift of Sodom. There's a drift in Lexington. And it's not towards Jesus Christ. You have to daily wake up and say, I'm going to live for the Lord. God, this is the day you've made. I don't care if everybody else is doing this. I'm going to be a righteous man, a righteous woman, and put the Lord first in my life, in my family's life. And do you remember, if you remember, Jesus actually reminded, he's, the reason I talk about Lot, one of the shortest verses in the Bible, Jesus says, we're going to see it later on Luke, remember Lot's wife. What happened to Lot's wife? The angels, when they, after they grab Lot's hand and say, come on, we're getting out of here, they had to forcefully take him out. The angel says, whatever you do, do not look back, because there's raining sulfur. What they, Lot's wife looked back. She became a pillar of salt. She did not want to leave her old life. Lot, the Bible described as saved. He was a just man. He was Abraham's nephew. He saw the Lord work in his life. Now I share this because this is what Jesus is telling us here. He's telling us the way of the Lord, the way of heaven is going to be completely opposite to how things are in 2018. How folks live today. The cultural drift. Moving along, back chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Now we're going to be looking here at about how we, are, how we see the golden rule. Jesus is going to actually tell us to love our enemies. First of all, you shouldn't have any enemies. But if you do have enemies, you should love your enemies. Now this is the standard. Not a single one of us here should have an enemy. Do you, I want to tell you why. Do you know every single human was, is created in the image of God? Jesus died for that person you don't like. Jesus was nailed to a cross and bore their sins. And, and listen, if God loves them, if he died for them, you have to love them too. There's no such thing as an enemy. The only enemy we have is the devil. Because the devil pulls people away from Christ and the Lord. Look in your Bibles. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But I say to you who listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. You know, that, for my, I'll tell you that that is the most, if, if, if someone doesn't like you or you are having, if you're having conflict with someone, do you know that the best thing, the best thing you can do is start praying for them. It says, Lord, I'm having problems with Sherry. I'm having problems here with Betty. And Lord, I'm just going to bring it to the altar. I'm going to pray about it. Because you can't hate someone you're praying for. If you are genuinely, and I don't mean, I'm not talking about it says, Lord, change Sherry's heart and make it line up to mine. It's a prayer that says, Lord, did I, maybe I'm at, I'm at wrong. Maybe I had a bad attitude. Maybe the problem could be me. If you are praying for people you don't like, it is hard to hate them. The Bible tells us we have to do this. If anyone hits you on a cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you. And from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. I mean, someone comes and steals, I can't take it to heaven.
Just as you want others, this is the golden rule, to do for you, do the same for them. This is also found in Matthew seven twelve. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. And this is, Jesus Christ is telling us, you should be treating people how you want to be treated the same. Our, our lifestyle of interpersonal relationships and dealing with the things of this world make no, should not influence what's most important. Jesus loves every single person. He died for them. We are expected to love them too. No things go to heaven. Nothing. We don't bring anything with us. Just like the story I told this morning. You save your whole life. You die. And somebody's going to go spend all your money. Nothing you can do. Oh well. And that's what Jesus is saying here. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Jesus is saying, hey, even a lost person. If you're a lost person, is kind of a lost person. They're going to be friends. I mean, that's, that's the way of the world. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that? I and mean, that's every bank in America does that. Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do what is good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great, and you will be a child of the Most High, for He is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, just as your heavenly Father is also merciful. Church, the Bible's saying here, we show mercy. Why? Because God showed mercy to us. We extend this to others. Who am I? Not to give grace and mercy to you when Christ has given it to me. This is the root of what it means to be a disciple and believer. Jesus is saying, none of these things matter. And this is hard, because the truth is today, this is what makes this verse so challenging. We live in 2018, and there's crime everywhere. People will steal from you. They will take advantage of you. But we have to remember, Jesus was stolen from. Now there's a difference from being foolish and also then demanding something back. You don't make it super easy for people to steal. You, he, Jesus is not saying just never lock your doors and just leave the door open and have all your stuff out there so people can come steal. But Jesus is saying the, the Christian ethic of things in interpersonal relationships is you treat others how you would want to be treated. What we see here is we want to be reminded that, number one, we should not have enemies. And if you do have an enemy, you should be praying for them and you should be loving them. The enemy of the gospel, if you remember when Jesus, in John chapter 8, he was talking to the Pharisees, and he spoke to them and said, Your father, the devil. Jesus realized when he was dealing with others the real problem that they had. And it wasn't so much that they just hated him. They were influenced by the, 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 the demonic. Satan had them in his grip. They had just followed the, the worldly drift. Third, verse 37. Do not judge. 
and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and it will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Many times, the problem with judging is we typically hold other people to a higher standard than we do ourselves. It's very easy to do this. You don't even realize you're doing it. And you find yourself judging other people when truthfully you're doing the same thing. You might hide it, but the Lord knows. And God's saying if that's going to be the standard you use to hold other people, God's going to hold that standard. He also told them a parable. So here's the parable here. This is a parable really about discipleship. Who we're influenced by, who we listen to. <clears throat> it is dangerous to turn on the TV. When you log on the computer, it is, and you scroll through Facebook, and you scroll through any social media, or just watch the news, it is dangerous what you're seeing. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? Dangerous. You will be influenced in a way, you will be taught and instructed in a way that really do not have a biblical practice at all in mind. Look what Jesus says to them. He told them a parable, verse 39. Can the blind lead the blind? Now, what's Jesus talking about, the blind? We as believers are not blind. Jesus Christ, when you got saved, he opened your eyes. So let me tell you, if you're getting non-stop secular news and you're just listening to this stuff hour after hour, day after day, week after week, on the TV, on the internet, reading in the newspaper, and it's just secular news. Church, that's the blind leading you. We as believers, we are led by God's Word. We are led by this book. This is our news. Listen, I know somebody. This man only reads the Bible. And he got to the point where he says, why do I even read this other stuff? All I want is God's Word. There's 66 books in that Bible, and I'm going to read them. I'm going to meditate on God's Word. Are blind people influencing you? These are spiritually blind people. And I'm telling you, they are. Are you stirred up? Do you find yourself arguing to people about building a wall against Me with Mexico? Now, I've actually done this. I'm speaking to myself because I'm talking to me. You've, you listen and you get sucked into this and go, my goodness, they're pouring in our country. What are we going to do? I'm mad. We've got to get something done in Washington. And the Lord is saying, you're being led by blind people. You're missing it. Jesus doesn't care about a wall. He wants folks saved. Jesus Christ is most interested in people in our nation coming to faith in Him. That's why Billy Graham got saved by a revival that his dad started. This is, I'm, this is something I personally struggle with. If you're a news junkie and you watch this stuff Day after day, it is blind people leading you. And too many evangelical, Bible-believing Christians have bought into this garbage. Fox News is not the gospel truth. Rush Limbaugh, he's great. And I listen to him. But church, that's, we're not to be led by him. 
And the Bible's saying here, can the blind lead the blind? We are led, I want to be led, by people whose eyes have been opened by Jesus Christ. By people who, have a, who know where they're going when they die. Who people have a relationship with the Lord. Who have a passion for the gospel to advance and folks to get saved. And the families to come to know Christ. Keep going here. Look what he says here. Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. How do you get fully trained? The scripture fully trains you. Part of growing in your faith is you're going to disciple and you're going to raise up other people. Men, you should be investing in other men. Women, there should be people in your life that you should be investing in. We should have a pipeline in our church of seeing young men come up through. We had our Get Acquainted luncheon this, this, uh, this afternoon. I went down there. And I actually counted. I knew most of the people, but I counted four, six people, four at one table and two at another. I had never in my life seen them, ever, ever. I had no clue who they were. They didn't know their name until they told us. God brought these people to Broadway Baptist Church to become disciples of him. And we as mature believers, the Bible's telling us here, we should be investing in these men. Young men with one guy with a family, actually two, two guys in their 40s. Don't, I can't remember their name. But they're here. God brought them here. And Jesus Christ is saying, okay, what are you going to do about it? Is there a pipeline so that we see a young man who showed up at some, a, a luncheon and says, I'm going to go to lunch at church and learn about the church, the ministries, and meet some folks. And Kevin died three, four years later. We're ordaining these men as deacons. And they're serving as leaders. They're up here preaching at the pulpit. They're teaching Sunday school classes. They're passing the offering plate. They're praying for our church. That's what disciple making is. That's what the Bible's saying here. But I'm telling you what's happening. I'm passionate about this because this, I'm speaking myself. We're being led by blind people. The wrong people are discipling us. Culture, Facebook, TV, movies, it has more of an impact than God's Word on too many lives. And Jesus is saying, we need to be investing in other folks. If, you, if we aren't going to do it, who on earth is? This, this Jesus' words here says in verse 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Fully trained. That's fully trained in the gospel. That's fully trained in this book. That's fully trained in God's word. So we see these six people who I don't even know their name. One day they're leaders here at Broadway. And they're teaching other people. And they're leading people to faith in Jesus Christ here in Lexington. How am I becoming fully trained? How are you becoming fully How are you helping other folks become fully trained? Jesus telling us what to do. Verse 41. Why do you look at a splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out this splinter in your own eye. When you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite, first take out the wood of beam in your own eye, and then you'll see clearly take out the splinter in your brother's eye. Jesus saying, you cannot hold folks a standard that you yourself do not live by. That's called hypocrisy. We are surrounded by this. It's everywhere. Hypocrisy is when you're saying something, you're holding someone to a standard that you yourself really do not live by. 
Like, let me give an example. I'm your pastor here. You would hope <coughs> your pastor doesn't drink alcohol, smoke tobacco, use foul language, view inappropriate things on the internet. You, th- you would hope he's a godly, prayerful Christian man, and you want to hold him that standard. And that's good. The Bible says to. Now, the problem with that, you might hold me to that standard. But is that your standard? Are you a godly, prayerful Christian man? Do you have Christ in all areas of your life, in your moral life? Do you see, do you see the difference? Now, we're saying one thing here to this guy, who's just a believer in Christ, just like you are. But, you know, you're here. The Bible calls that, Jesus saying, it's hypocrisy. And you're, you're saying one thing that you yourself are not going to hold to. Next section here, we're moving right along. The Sermon on the Plain, verse 43. A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. That's how you know if someone's saved. You look at their fruit. Say the, a, a, a born-again believer is going to have an overflowing life. They're not going to be a gossip. They're going to love the Lord. They're going to want to be at church. They're going to love Jesus. For, e, for each tree is known by its fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a, a brandle bush. A good person producing good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of his heart. If you know someone who talks inappropriate about women, who uses foul language, who uses um, coarse joking, do you know what this Bible verse just said in verse 45? It says, if they speak evil, and they talk that way, and it comes out of their mouth, you know where it comes from? It comes from their heart, because that's what type of person they are. You can't be that kind of man that's talking that way and acting that way, yet all of a sudden on Sunday turn on a different man. That's called hypocrisy, Jesus is saying. Good, godly people produce good, godly fruit. You, wanna, the, the, you, un, you know a man by what comes out of his mouth. And I'll tell you, Christians get hung on common gossip. For whatever reason, the church tolerates it. It doesn't tolerate foul language. Doesn't tolerate inappropriate sexual jokes, but gossip, you'll tolerate it. And it, Bible saying here, it comes out of the overflow of your heart. A gossip, the Bible says, is a lost person because there's evil inside the world, inside it within them. An evil person, you'll know them because eventually it will overflow and come out. You spend enough time with someone you will see what type of man, what type of woman that is. You only can, hypocrites can only hide themselves so long. Last section here. Verse 46. Here's our two foundations. And this, this will conclude Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? You ever spoke to your children, your grandchildren? And you tell them what to do, and they don't listen to you. They do the opposite. They just disobey Yet they're calling you mom and dad and grandma and grandpa. And we love you so much. They, they, don't, they don't listen. Well, that's what Jesus felt like. You're calling me Lord. You're saying I'm the most important person in your life, yet you do not do what I do or, or do what I say. 
I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, notice the passage about this. It didn't say if the flood came. Remember, Job 14.1 promises you're going to have trouble. That's a given. If you've been born of a woman, trouble is coming, Job said. So when the, when the flood comes, and the flood comes to every single one of us, tough times are coming. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house, and it couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the man who hears him and does not act like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. So all of a sudden, it's like he's building it on the sand. There's no foundation. But what's powerful about this passage here is there's one thing in common. They both heard the word. Both guys that built heard what Jesus said. That's why a lost person can be hearing everything I'm saying. Yet they do not build their foundation of their life on Jesus Christ. They build it on popularity, on money, on culture, on whatever it is. They build it on something else other than the Lord. And when the flood comes, and it's going to come, the river crashed against it, and immediately it collapsed. And the destruction of the house is great. What Jesus is saying here in this passage is there's going to be two types of people who hear my message, my, my word, who hear the Lord's of Jesus. And the foundation is the foundation of, the, of Scripture, of God. Are you completely rooted in Scripture? This should be, you wake up, you should be going through your Bible. You should have a hunger for this book, a passion for it. If you didn't know this was called the Sermon on the Plain, and you didn't even know there was a par parallel passage with Luke chapter 6, verses Matthew chapter 5 through 7, you didn't know about these ser sermons that Jesus preached, that should remind you that you need to be studying your Bible. You need to immerse yourself in this Word. Because that is our foundation we live on. That is the only thing that will prevent us from the drift. And when he says here, the guy who does not build his house on the foundation of rock, when the flood came, the, the destruction will be great. He's talking about hell. He's saying there will be many people who will hear these words and they will not put them into practice. Yet, what are they saying? In verse 46, they're using the same words we are. They're calling this man, Lord, Lord. Jesus is saying there's a lot of folks who cry out to Jesus and call him Lord, Lord, but he is not the Lord of their life. Because their foundation is not built on Jesus Christ. This here is our sermon. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus Christ is telling us that we read these words and it's in the ideal, it's in the clouds, but he's saying the Christian ethic for you should be completely different. 1 Peter 1.16 says, Be holy because I am holy. That's a quote from the Lord. We are called to holiness. Holiness means set apart. You are set apart for the Lord because why? God is holy. Holiness is perfection. Daily, we should be growing in a relationship 
in closeness with the Lord. We look at these words, and we have to remember, church tradition, it's, it's, not, what, it's not the priority. Uh, pleasing other people, being someone who just goes with the flow, Jesus is saying your lifestyle should be radically different than the people around you. And that's how you know if someone's saved. Let me pray. God, I pray for the folks here tonight. Lord, I pray we will not get tied, bogged down and tied up into the little things that so many times Christians get tripped up with. Lord, we shouldn't have any enemies. Lord, we shouldn't be like the Pharisees who were more concerned about their image and what people thought of them than their relationship with you. Lord, we should remember that when we hear your words and we call you Lord, Lord, we have to put this into practice. We have to build our foundation on you. Lord, we also have to remember we can't be led by blind gods. Blind people are leading all sorts of people away from you. Lord, we want to be led by your word. Not by our culture and worldliness and secularism. Lord, I pray tonight, if there's any of us here, we might not make it public, but we just need to say, Lord, I cry out, make me a holy man. Save me from this culture I've been sucked into. Just give me Jesus. Lord, we give you this invitation, and we pray for your spirit to move tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We close every service with an invitation. I'm going to invite you to stand. David Dale's going to lead us in our song. I'll be standing out front waiting for you to respond. We'll sing together, I have decided to follow Jesus. 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 No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Thank you, David Dell. Thank you so much for that. I want to remind you, we um, have Wednesday night Bible study. We're going through the life of Samuel. We're seeing how he was given to God. So we will pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 12. That's where we're at. So I want to invite you, certainly, that's our, our next time to be together um, for Bible study. We will pick up next Sunday night in Luke chapter 7. David? All right, let's sing together the chorus, Precious Name. Precious name, oh how sweet, hope of earth and joy of heaven. Precious name, oh how sweet, hope of earth and joy of heaven. Amen. Have a good week.